straight from WCHL Studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and also live from the NCAA Tournament, it's the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show, starring Chris and C.L. Brown. Today's esteemed guest, former Tar Heel basketballer, current assistant coach at the University of Pittsburgh, Jason Capel. Today is the March Madness Show. Let me tell you a little something about March Madness. Madness is trying to walk up 6th Avenue during the St. Paddy's Day Parade. That's madness. All the other stuff is easy, except my bracket-busting Syracuse orange men. But I digress. Here's sibling rivalry sports. Now wrapping basketball number 47, C. True. Basketball is CL's favorite sport. He sees NBA travels up and down the court. And just like I'm the king on the microphone, giving CL March Madness gives a dog a bone. Zion slam dunks, Kobe takes it to the hoop. Our favorite play is the alley-oop. And then we pick and roll, and then we give and go. Because this March Madness sibling rivalry show, let's go! CL! <laughs> They're playing basketball. What's going on? <laughs> yeah! See, and, and shout out to... the best day of the year. There you go. The Thursday and Friday of the ACC tournament. You're talking about the Super Bowl should be a national holiday. This should be a national holiday. Nice. So the Thursday and Friday, just you're saying just getting everything started. And, folks, if you can't uh, tell, C.L. Brown is on site at one of the sites of NCAA March Madness. Where Tell, tell them where you are, C.L. I'm down in Columbia, South Carolina, watching right now. Oklahoma just took the floor to uh, have an open practice. Uh, this is another thing I feel like is one of the neat aspects of, of the tournament, just when they allow people who probably otherwise would never be around a, a college team to just kind of get a glimpse of, uh, of uh, how a practice goes. Most coaches just kind of do a walkthrough. It's not that intense. But uh, but it's it's still a neat little window. Nice, real nice. Yeah, so uh, you know we're getting in there, March Madness, getting it going, getting it cracking. Lots of exciting things. This is our official March Madness sibling rivalry show, so everything's about March Madness today. Uh, CL and I've already had some impassioned <laughs> discussions about certain topics, which you will hear about, folks. But first things first, let's go to the big playback. All right. Oh, oh, oh. See, yeah, I wanted to. What I wanted to say after the the intro, the mini intro there is that I just want to give a shout out to Kurt Chill, Curtis Blow. You know, old school oh, rapper. Yeah. He is the one. You know, who pinned that song? Who initially did? I don't think a lot of the young Turks know that <laughs> that that was a sampled remake that came along these many years later. That there was an original song. Uh, that was, I, I mean, seriously, like a lot of young people don't, they don't reflect that knowledge. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they don't know of that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's to be in the pantheon of great basketball songs. Amen. All right. So, uh, 
what what do we have here for a uh, big playback today? We're we're talking about potential round four between UNC and Duke. Should it happen? Do people want it happening? Can it happen? That's the topic. Well, I mean, I think people should want it to happen, especially if you're in, if you have a, a, you know, if you have a dog in the fight, if you're a Carolina or Duke fan, because that would mean you're playing for the national championship. That would mean you are in the last game. True. Uh, I'm not one of these people who think it would be, it would be the end all be all to the arguments and the rivals because that's that's what sports talk sports smack talk is about like it doesn't matter if your team has lost or whatever you're talking about the next time you play and the next time after that like there's there's never an end to the conversation when it comes to uh fans backing their team and talking trash about their rivals that's right now you know what what i would do is i would compare i would compare kind of the one-upsmanship Tell me what you think about this, CL. I would compare the one-upsmanship to when, you know, one team wins the championship and then the next year the, ne- the next team wins the championship. I-, I would say that it's a kind of a similar feel to it, you know, that kind of one-upsmanship. And, yes, it is the ultimate one-up saying, hey, we beat you when it all counted. But that if the next team goes on and wins, like sweeps the next three seasons – that one championship starts to look a little old in comparison. So I don't think people need to worry. If the team, do you think the teams are worried? I mean, if the teams aren't worried, why, why, why is fandom concerned and worried? Yeah, I definitely don't think the teams. Uh, I, I, honestly, I don't think the teams are even concerning themselves to thinking about an opponent in the championship game. They're just thinking about trying to get to the championship game, and if it happened to be. You know, their neighbors from down the street, then so be it. I do think that after losing by a point in the ACC tournament semifinal game to Duke, Carolina players would probably love another chance at Duke mm-hmm. uh, at full strength. Yes. Technically, that was the only game that Zion Williamson played. Uh, and I, I let me backtrack. I'm tired of people. I hate the, the phrase full strength because uh, – because Zion was hurt in the first two games. I mean, Carolina's had guys out, certainly not with the impact that Zion has had, but Sterling Manley, I believe he missed like 16 games. Wiki Black has been out. Mm-hmm. Um, Nas Little got hurt in the Virginia game as well as, as Cam Johnson for a little stretch. Like, injuries happen. So mm-hmm. to talk about a team at full strength or some player missing or whatever, um, so be it because that happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh Roy Williams kind of summed that up when he was asked about it after they, after Carolina won the regular season finale against Duke, saying that, you know, he went back to 2012. If they have Kendall Marshall, he liked his chances of winning the national title. Right, but yeah. Kendall Marshall got hurt in the NCAA tournament, and that kind of imploded on Carolina. So uh, he's not feeling any kind of, of sympathy for anybody. Right. I think his quote was, frankly, my dear. I think that was at least the beginning of that quote. Uh, he, he didn't, I don't think he finished it off, but he just said, I'm from the South. Frankly, my dear. Hey, uh, let me say this, too. I actually, for the, the, you know, the ACC tournament version of UNC Duke, I was 
in New York City. My wife and I took a, a little, uh, you know, birthday trip up there for her. And um, I was actually in Times Square. I'm going to I'm going to post this picture on our Instagram. I was in Times Square and up on one of the, the huge, you know, building uh, type uh, jumbotrons. They, they put the game up there, which I don't know, maybe that's a, a normal occurrence or something, but it just seems so larger than life. We took a picture of it. You know, it was the second half. Carolina Duke, that's how big it was, Times Square. And not not only that, but when we were, you know, walking down uh, one of those midtown streets towards a hotel, uh, uh, a concierge jumped out and he, he, he saw that I had my Carolina gear on and he, he said, he started to say, I, I'm a Duke fan. And I was like, really? What, like, what kind of Duke fan are you? And he pulled open his shirt, CL. He pulled open his concierge red jacket uniform, and he had a full-on Duke uh, warm-up <laughs> shirt on, like nice warm-up jersey. So, of course, we had to take a picture awesome. of that. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's so big. You know, I just think the whole uh, college basketball world would would love love to see that, that rematch. Well, it was ESPN's most watched college basketball game. They're, they're all kind of superlatives. Uh, the, the first meeting, uh, I think it was about 4.4 million people that watched. It was the most watched weeknight college basketball game on ESPN ever. Um, wow. They, uh, when they played again in the ACC tournament, it was the, most, uh, the highest rated uh, uh, championship week game that they've televised. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure the broadcast fans, I'm walking back to the back here, too, because the band is starting to crank up. But um, I think that, that broadcast partners with the NCAA would love if that happened. Mm-hmm. I think uh, even casual sports fans who, who don't tune into college basketball would be interested, that, that would pique their interest in that game. Mm-hmm. The only, my only concern, my only fear of playing that game is I would hate it if a player for either team ended up with a Chris Webber slash Fred Brown kind of situation where they froze in the end right. and the other team won kind of uh, off of that last play. And that, that would be, like, devastating. Mm-hmm. Jackie Smith from the Dallas Cowboys dropping that touchdown. <laughs> That's how you know his name. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that would be devastating. But outside of that, I mean, I would love to see it. <laughs> you know, I just thinking about that, though, I don't think it would be a mental error. Uh, at least I feel like on the side of Carolina, I think it would, if there were anything, it would be like how the, the tournament game ended, you know, a missed opportunity, like a three-point missed or something like that, which is entirely forgivable. Um, you know, I just, I, that would be hard to, to, you know, I mean, you know, I have a friend who just uh, threw, threw the name Michigan at me. And, of course, I swiftly answered with timeout. So, I mean, that's a timeless, you know, that was how many years ago, and I'm still using that. No, no, you know, that you would hate to see that. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I think it'll, I don't think it'll, it'll go that way. Uh, but I know one thing. It would be awesome to see. And, and you know what, CL, I feel okay with UNC's chances if that were the case. That's just me. Well, it's more than just you because it was a well-played game in the ACC semifinals. Um, Zion delivered <laughs> with uh, 31 points for, for Duke, including the, the game-winning basket, essentially. 
Um, uh, it was just a well-played game, a high-level game. In the first half, this is this to me was rare. In the first half of the non-championship game, the crowd was standing. Like there, there was when, when wow. jumped out early, and then Duke started to make his comeback. Um, like people were standing up in the first half of that game, which which to me is just something that that you don't see often, especially not in the championship game. And and that that game was played at, at like a Final Four level of intensity. So uh, and mm-hmm. that's honestly why I was surprised who came back, and uh, they they weren't as flat as I thought they'd be to start the game against Florida State. They were a little flat, but I figured they gave just about all they had against Carolina, and it was going to be hard. And if Carolina won, I'd say the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. It was going to be hard to follow that performance the next day and still have the same kind of uh, intensity level. But they were mm-hmm. able to uh, to summon it up to win the uh, tournament. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I saw that tweet. And and one thing I thought with that was, well, what about Florida State? I mean, they, they beat Virginia, but that was a Herculean effort, too, even though it was at a 10-point win at the end. Yeah, but it's not the same because that's not, that's not their rival. True. It wasn't the buildup in terms of that was the first time Zion played uh, in, in the three meetings, Carolina Duke. It, it was just, it's just different. True. It's different. All right, so we're talking about what is the same, what has changed. And one thing that we do try to keep the same is bringing you, our fans, our listeners, our friends, the best guests. And we have another one here. Former Tar Heel basketball player Jason Capel joining us here on Sibling Rivalry Sports right after the break. Give our sponsors a listen, then come on back for March Madness right here. Sibling Rivalry Sports, 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show on 97.9 The Hill. We're welcoming back. I say welcoming back because He's a, a Tar Heel. Yes. Capel played on the uh, 2000 Final Four team for the, for the Tar Heels. Now he's with his brother, Jeff Capel, as a staff member of the University of Pittsburgh's basketball team. Jason, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well, man. Thank you guys for having me. Man, thank you not only for being here, but just for just for being you, for representing the way you do. <laughs> I'm just doing everything I, always, I was taught. The great CL, you know, taught me a lot. <laughs> please, please don't say that. Please don't say that. I do have to throw this in. I do have to throw in. He's also a member of the State of Omicron chapter of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, like myself. We always got to get it in for for the yes, brothers. Sir. All right, but, no uh, problem. Hey, man, it's 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 the best time of the year now. Um, I know you guys are building at Pittsburgh, and, and I, I feel like you guys are going to be back in this tournament sooner than later. Uh, but we wanted to get your perspective on, on kind of what you see and, and uh, maybe even some insight into, uh, into some sleeper teams that you think might be able to do well. Um, first, I wanted to start off with, you know, the ACC getting three number one seeds. Uh, and were, were, were you surprised when, when that happened, or was that something that you felt like, uh, you know, uh, they, they, it certainly had earned. Well, I think it definitely was earned. Uh, you look at what Virginia has been able to do all season. 
uh, prior to the ACC tournament and fall into Florida State. The only thing that had beaten Virginia was Duke twice. Um, so they're a talented team. I think uh, having DeAndre Hunter back and healthy, we remember last year he didn't play in the NCAA tournament. He was injured. Brings another yeah. dynamic. You know, Ty Jerome, Cal Guy, they're having great years. But I look at DeAndre Hunter as, you know, maybe he won't be as good. It's hard to project. But to me, he's like Kawhi Leonard. He can score. He can defend. He does everything at such a high level. It's no surprise there. North Carolina, in my opinion, have been playing the best basketball um, of anybody in the country um, ending the regular season. And then Duke getting Zion back, what they were able to do running the table in the ACC tournament against some very good teams. Uh, with Zion, they are a very, very good team, a different team that can hurt you on both sides of the basketball. So no surprise um, with all three being number ones. And I think all three have a great shot of continuing uh, as we begin the NCAA tournament of having a chance to advance pretty deep as well. Yeah, so I, I wanted to ask, this This has nothing to do with nothing. Uh, this is just a, a sibling <laughs> a sibling rivalry <laughs> type of question here. So once you guys were out of the ACC tournament and then you see Carolina and Duke playing in the semifinal game, <laughs> do you and do you and Jeff watch that game? Like, do y'all do y'all watch it as coaches? And you're like, oh, oh did you see the movement they did or this ATO coming out of timeout, this is the play that, you know, or do you watch it like, uh, you know, you going for Carolina and Jeff going for Duke and just like, oh, man, you know, <laughs> we're going to really, win this game. We're really all the above. I mean, because, <laughs> you know, you, you, you play against uh, these teams. You know, we played against Duke and North Carolina uh, this season within the ACC regular season. And so you know what they're going to do. You know some of the play calls. Um, you know some of the actions. You know the tendencies they're going to. Uh, put on the floor at different times in the game. So as a, you're watching it as a coach, knowing at different times what's going to happen. But also, you know, this time of year, unfortunately, we're not playing. Um, our season's over. You get to watch it as a fan, too, as a former Blue Devil, uh, my brother, and, and, and as a former Tar Heel myself. And, uh, you know, people, I know people want to hear, we crack on each other, we're home, <laughs> you know, we're going at it, but we really aren't. The truth of the matter is that uh, I was able to support him as a Blue Devil player for four years, and then oh, as a yeah. Blue Devil assistant coach for seven, and then he supported me when I was a Tar Heel as well. So it's all love, and uh, mm-hmm. I look forward to building this program to where we're competing with an opportunity to beat the likes of Duke and North Carolina year in, year out. So, Coach Jason, what I would want to ask you, just staying in line with kind of the sibling relationship and everything, when it comes to coaching the Panthers, do you all have sort of a differing um, approach to the game that you have melded together, or is it more you adapting some of his approaches? How How does that work out? Well, I think we've been fortunate because I think a lot of who we are is coaches but maybe more importantly as men um comes from our father mm-hmm. you know who was a coach who's the best man uh, i've ever known mm-hmm. so a lot of who we are stems uh from our, our upbringing uh, from our dad and our mom as well so in that sense we're a lot alike um and we've been fortunate to play for some great basketball minds mm-hmm. uh, some great basketball coaches at the high school level um and obviously at the college level um so we have different 
philosophies on things, but that's good, you know. But the unique part about our staff is everyone on our staff has been a head coach. Uh, so we know what it is to be the one making the decisions, be the one um, is, uh, making the final call on things. So I think as a head coach, you want that. You want guys that can give you a different perspective, give you different opinions, and collectively you go out and uh, try to do what's best for the team. Um, so it's worked out well. Um, you know, there hasn't been any button of heads. He's the boss. I work for him. And I, I go about my job every day trying to help this uh, become the best program it can be, um, knowing that, uh, most importantly, he's our leader. And, uh, I, you know, I'm very thankful to have an opportunity to, to follow him and help him build this program to the best it can be. Well, so... so uh no, go ahead, Seal. You go ahead, Chris. No, you got it. Okay. All right. So here, here's the impossible question then. going on right there. <laughs> here's the impossible question right here. Because we're, we're going to be talking about Zion Williamson. And I w- I've just been dying to hear this from a coach. What is a defensive strategy? What is a game strategy against Zion Williamson? How, uh, you know, I mean, the pat question is how do you stop him? Obviously, you can't stop him. But what is the strategy against him? Uh, get a good hold and hold on tight. <laughs> I mean, he's such a powerful force, man. Um, you know, when, when you have a chance to see him in person, he's so physically imposing. Um, he's big, he's strong, he's well put together for a kid that's 18, 19 years old, uh, for a 35-year-old for that matter. I mean, he's a grown man, <laughs> uh, but so fast and so explosive. I don't think he gets enough credit because obviously the, you know, the 10-second the, the clips of his highlight reel dunks is what jumps off the page, but he's so smart. Um, he has such a high basketball IQ, and he's so skilled. The thing you have to try to do is make him play in a crowd build a wall around him, give him space, but he's smart enough that if you back up and give him space, he's going to take up that space. And once he gets a running start, good luck because he's nimble, he's powerful, and he's skilled enough to figure out ways to get around you. But the best bet you're going to have is to try to build a wall around him, make him see five jerseys, make him play in a crowd, and then any time a shot goes up, you have to physically, hand-to-hand combat, box him out with strength, and not allow him to beat you up on the backboard. That's what he's good at. You have to do a good job of keeping him out of transition, um, and you just have to play great team defense on him. The problem with that is that you have a guy that was USA Today Player of the Year and R.J. Barrett that you have to account for as well with the other players, Cam Reddish and uh, Trey Jones. So they're a talented team. Uh, Zion is a piece of that. Um, he's a guy that gets a lot of uh, the acclaim, as he should. But they have other guys that can really, really hurt you if you focus solely on uh, containing and trying to, quote-unquote, stop Zion Williams. So during your days as a player, going back to that, would you take a charge on Zion Williamson? Did you ever have to take a charge on Julius Peppers? Because I think physically that's probably the equivalent of, of Zion on the court. Man, listen, if I'm being completely honest, uh, in practice one day, Pep was on a break, and I had in my mind, I, I got to the spot, I protected myself, my mind said, you're taking this charge.
charge. But CL, if I'm being completely honest, I fell before he ever touched me, man. He was coming, he was coming really fast uh, with an intense look in his eyes. And, you know, look, you're supposed to practice and play the same way, but all I can envision uh, was him breaking through <laughs> back to the quarterback. And I had, I had to play in the game. I couldn't risk that. So, no, I never took charge on Julius Pepper. Um, but I would like to think, um, and I know that in a game situation, it wouldn't matter who it was, um, I would step in and take a charge. No doubt. That's a business decision. I respect that. Absolutely. So, uh, so looking at the tournament as a whole, I feel like the I feel like it's going to be pretty chalky, you know, in terms of the Elite Eight and the Final Four, but are there any teams you're looking at specifically that, that you feel like can pull off some early round upsets? Well, I mean, look, they're going to be upsets. They are every year. Last year, having, you know, two quote-unquote mid-major teams make it to the NCAA tournament proves that. Um, I think you look at, you know, the NCAA tournament is about do you have guards specifically uh, that can control the game, that are dynamic, that can do some special things. Um, and I look at Murray State, a team that has a guy that's going to be, you know, a top two or three pick in the draft, and Ja Moran, who he is that. Um, he can score it. He can make other players better. Um, he can he can make opportunities better. He's a pest defensively because he's so long and athletic. Uh, he's a guy that can do that. He's a guy that can uh, really put a team on his back and do some dynamic things. They have a tough matchup against Marquette, but when you talk about a player this time of year that can do some special things and help his team continue to advance, I think John Moran is a guy that can do that. Uh, it's not yeah. going to be an easy game for LSU. I think Yale is very good. I think Yale has a first-round pick on their team. They're well-coached, and they're going to be prepared against LSU. So uh, right off the bat, I look at those two teams as possible uh, squads that could pull, you know, a lot of people would see it as an upset. I wouldn't because I know how good those teams are and those players are. All right. I I, uh, I wish that Marquette wasn't facing Murray State because I, I feel yeah. the same way about uh, Marcus Howard and in terms of yes. how you're talking about John Mar- I mean, John Moran is better, <laughs> but I, I feel like kind of similar similar skill levels. Um, so also with the, with the tournament, we're going to talk about this later in our show, but uh, or we talked about it. Um, what do you think about Part Four, Carolina and Duke for the national title? Can it could could this, you know, could we handle that? <laughs> could this nation handle that mega matchup? <laughs> well, it's never happened. You know, it's, it's, it's never happened in an NCAA uh, championship. So I, you know, listen, anybody would love to see. Duke Carolina as many times as possible each season. Um, but when you look at what the Tar Heels have and the dynamic players they have, uh, Kobe White is, you know, to me, as good as any guard in the country with the star power Duke brings to the table, the story programs, Hall of Fame coaches. Um, you know, having Carolina's won two, Duke has won one when they were at full strength. Um, look, it, 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 <laughs> it would be as a, a big of as big of a blockbuster as I think we've seen in an NCAA tournament, which delivers every year. Um, but each team needs to focus on one game at a time. Um, it, it's a long road, six games, 
Um, you, you, you can't look ahead, but it, I think it will be pretty special uh, for the country to see that. And I think it will be great for the ACC just showing that how uh, great of a conference it is uh, year in, year out of quality teams having a chance to not only compete, but win a national championship. So, Jason, uh, just a little little picture of, of our history, CL and I as siblings. So I was once on staff at a small school in Orlando, Florida, and I was coaching the JV basketball team, even though CL knows a, a ton more basketball than I. You know, I was just the guy who was available at that point. So I got my Dean Smith book and I went to work. CL came down to visit me one day and I pulled him. I had him on my bench, you know, helping me uh, during that that little game. And then there was a moment where we called a timeout and we both walked out on court like we were discussing something super important. But actually, we had our mother on the sideline taking a picture of us so that we look real cool. So my question to you is in this season where you were coaching with your brother. Now, listen, we're, you know, our local audience is Chapel Hill here. You're amongst family. You can tell us, was there a moment like that where you guys had to say, okay, look, mom, just somebody take, take this because we're going to look real cool in this timeout or something like that? <laughs> well, uh, our mom, she came to two games uh, here in Pittsburgh. Oh. And, uh, she, saw, uh, she saw us fall to North Carolina. Um, in our season opener um, of the ACC, but she also saw us win um, against Louisville here at home. Mm-hmm. She didn't take any pictures. Uh, she sat up with our kids, <laughs> you know, her, her five grandkids who aren't going to sit idly by in the stands. So she's <laughs> up, up high in the suite, so she wasn't close enough to get a good quality picture. But, uh, you know, we do have some pretty cool pictures that have been taken, that have been sent to us. Um, of us on the bench, on us both up, uh, yelling out orders to our players. Nice. Um, I put a couple up on social media, but um, it's pretty special, man. I mean, look, um, this was a dream of our parents. Mm-hmm. It's not something that either of us ever uh, talked about or spoke about. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the universe has a way of bringing things together, uh, bringing people together. Um, and it was just the right time. And I'm thankful that my brother thought enough of me um, to want me to be on his staff and want me to be in his foxhole uh, of, of rebuilding uh, pit basketball. And it's something I know our mom is very proud of, and I know it's something our dad is looking down uh, extremely proud of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know this was his dream mm-hmm. for us to be together. Uh, if not playing together, to be on the same sidelines, coaching and leading young men together. That's right. All right. That's awesome. It is, and and unfortunately, I mean, this is this is a great conversation. We don't have any more time, and we we're just going to have to ask you to to come back again. Uh, on the show because we've enjoyed talking to you, Jason. Thank you so much. Much more continued success there at Pitt. Uh, and uh, we look forward to just seeing how everything goes with March Madness. Thank you, Jason. Hey, I appreciate okay, it. Anytime, appreciate guys. It, you guys are family. Anytime. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right, folks. Stay tuned. Sibling Rivalry Sports is coming right back here on 97.9 The Hill. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? Welcome back 
to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill, where we always chill. Our chill is a little different this time. It's a hype chill because it's March Madness time for our entire short show here uh, this time and uh, this week. And C.L. Brown senior writer for theathletic.com college basketball is on site in Columbia South Carolina one of the sites for the tournament um and we got a special segment see why don't you just kind of bring it right up to speed on what we're doing this time with this segment well uh we've had we've had some debates about Stein Williamson at Duke and uh everything from from his legacy uh, to his impact, um, it really just tried to cover cover all different aspects with Zion. And so, uh, one thing that I've noticed, uh, the, the question that I wanted to pose that, that we came to an agreement on is Zion Williamson, simply put, villain or hero? Yes. So, uh, and I think it largely is your vantage point, but I'll start by saying this. From watching Duke play on their road games, I get the feeling that Zion Williamson is such an elite-level athlete that people may root against him, but they enjoy seeing him. They want to see him do something special. And can I qualify, if I may interrupt real quick, when you say watching, you mean being at the game, covering some of these road games, right? So, you know, I mean, I feel like like fans, fans kind of know that he's he's special. He's he's unique. We may not see someone exactly like him. We'll see other high end talent. Like you know that that always comes. We're always searching for and finding the next big thing at some point. But um, a six foot seven kid who weighs two hundred eighty five pounds and has a forty five inch vertical leap, like he he doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> So I think people appreciate that. Even people that hate Duke, when Zion Williamson does something, they respect it because they understand what kind of level he's bringing to the game, what kind of level he's playing at. Well, I think the first thing you said, I think it it resonates the most with me, which is it depends on your vantage point. It depends. So, you know, it's clear. I've made it clear all year long that – you know, I'm unabashed in my support of our Tar Heels. And, you know, um, when I look at him, I think villain. But I will clarify that coming from your interactions with him and what you said about it and, you know, a lot of what I've seen um, of him in media, I, I will say that he's not a typical Duke villain. Like, for instance, you know, he he's not uh, like a, a Riddick type of villain where, you know, people are group chanting profanities at him and stuff. Uh, you know, I, I just think he's a villain in that he's so good. And I will admit, CL, usually I'm on the side of the person who's so good. I think I'm used to and maybe even spoiled by being on that side and seeing other people, you know, want that person who's so good, you know, to stop dominating or to not dominate. So that's kind of the viewpoint I have with him. He's so good 
that uh, he is a focus of attention not to dominate. Whatever we got to do to stop that guy from dominating, that's kind of the, the, the villain that I see. Yeah, well, um, is that really a villain? You know? <laughs> sure. Just making him an opponent. Yeah, no, okay, it makes him an opponent, yes, but a villain is because it's so focused. He's, you know, you, your attention is so focused on stopping him in particular because he's so good. That's what I personally would call a villain. He's so good, you must focus and stop him. And and the 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 other other example that comes to mind, I, I know you know you might not be you might not love jumping sports, but I, I think of uh, number seven from from your Steelers. I, I think that's what I think about him. He he is so good. He must be stopped. He must be focused on whatever it takes to stop that guy. And I and therefore that's to me that's villainous. Well, I, I feel like when I hear villain, I I feel like there's got to be some hatred involved. And I, I haven't really felt the vitriol, any vitriol really directed towards Zion because I, I think because of not only just the way he is athletically, but the way he comes across in the media. Um, he's, he's a very uh, humble kid. Um, he hasn't, you know, he, he, he's, when he plays within himself in that on the court, you don't see him doing a lot of, uh, he, he doesn't get very emotional, at least outwardly. Sometimes, I, and I actually wrote about it in the Athletic um, from the ACC championship game, he, he'll start talking to himself when he wants to, when he's trying to get himself motivated and going. And it, and it kind of, in, in that game against Florida State, took him to another level um, because they were trailing early. And that's really what, that's where I feel like he can enter the villain territory when his will, when he gets to a point where he can just insert his will on the game and, and, and take over and change the fortune of the game. And I feel like we started to see that in the ACC tournament with, with what he did against Carolina and again against Florida State because they trailed by eight in the first half before they really got things going. And he was, he was the impetus to that to them uh, rallying in that day. All right. Well, I know we're going to get at this during brownout, but so do you think that that's, that trend's going to continue in the uh, in the tournament? I mean, do you think we'll see more of that? Yeah, because, uh, I mean, this is his, I mean, by all accounts, this is going to be his only run at it. And, and he knows uh, he's, he's playing with a sense of urgency now. Um and he knows that, you know, for Duke, especially in, in any given year for Duke, a Final Four and a championship is, is the standard uh, to judge a season. But this year in particular, because of their recruiting class that came in, um, and, and this is the thing about Zion, his talent has basically just, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's swallowed up, uh, sucked all the oxygen out of the room. I mean, you had R.J. Barrett was, was rated ahead of Zion. Uh, in this class coming in and Cam Reddish by some accounts was rated ahead of, of Zion um, being number two overall in the class and you know it's it's all Zion all the time right now and both of those guys are, are definitely uh, you know potential NBA lottery picks but it, it, nobody really talks about them in the same fashion as, as Zion. True. CL may I say this though 
May I point out that I have seen in social media, I have seen vitriol aimed at Zion because of how much coverage he gets. Now, I will say that, and that may may or may not be so personal, but I've seen a lot of people complaining about the love affair (laughs) that they say ESPN has for Zion and just all the coverage of Zion, that may again, that may not be so personally. Yeah, I I agree with that. I've seen that that too, but to me, that's more directed at ESPN than it is at Zion. Uh, yeah, he, he doesn't own a satellite. <laughs> True. <laughs> not yet, <laughs> not yet. But if he wants one soon, you know, yeah, that Z satellite orbiting somewhere up there. Well, let's let's go ahead and, and bring our orbit down here for a couple minutes, so that. Our, we can launch our sponsors and then folks we're going to come back with March Madness version of Brownout here on Sibling Rivalry Sports 97.9 The Hill Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill C.L. Brown is on location in Columbia, South Carolina at the site of the NCAA tournament. And we are now going to do our tradition, our brownout. The brownout. The ACC locked up three number one seeds for the NCAA tournament. Will it be a failure if the league doesn't win the title? Will it be a failure, C.L.? Well, yes. I mean, you got three-fourths of the number one seed and, and you mean to tell me somebody can't cut down the nets? Uh, I, I feel like in 2009, uh, back then, I was actually covering the Big East and the Big East had uh, Louisville as the number one, UConn as the number one, and Pittsburgh, I believe, was the third number one. And uh, none of them, or Villanova, I'm sorry, was the third number one that year. And none of them cut it down the nets. It was Carolina. So, uh, you can't claim conference supremacy without being the, having the last team standing. Yes, kind of. I kind of like how that one worked out. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. It'd be a huge failure, and that is a failure we're not gonna see at all. Okay. Next question. In a tournament known for upsets, who's your sleeper pick? CL, let me tell you my sleeper team. Now, again, I'm no CL Brown. Well, I am CL Brown, but I'm not the, the college basketball senior writers, but for the, the athletic.com. But I will say this. Now, you know, part of me wanted to say UCF, Central Florida is a sleeper team, you know, but Duke's going to take care of all that in round two, and that'll be over. That dream will be over. They're going to wake up. But I, I got to say, people are going to say I'm crazy for saying this, but Virginia, I don't think they're getting just a lot of a lot of shine and a lot of love. You know, their exit out of the tournament, they, they're just quietly in here. But I, I, I personally think that Virginia uh, is in line to do major, major damage. I want to go on record with that. That's that's what I'm saying. That may big stretch, maybe not, but still. How can you be a number one seed and a sleeper? I just explained. You gotta go. You, I can't, you want me to take five minutes? And- <laughs> that's rhetorical. You're number one seed. That's that's by definition. You're not a sleeper. That's the number one seed. Okay. I think people are sleeping on them. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I think a team that uh, that could come out of nowhere, um, and and really we we saw them come out of somewhere last year. I think Nevada. You talk about a team that uh, that people are sleeping on. Nevada was top ten team to start the year. 
based on their Sweet 16 appearance last year and basically returned everybody uh, back. And so, you know, they're sitting as a number seven seed out in the West, and I'm picking them to beat Michigan in uh, the second round. We'll get past Florida in the first round, beat Michigan in the second round, and advance to the Sweet 16. Um, and, and I could easily see them uh, taking it one step further, going to the Elite Eight. Um, I have Gonzaga ultimately coming out of the West, but I think Nevada is the team uh, that's going to still have a chip on its shoulder and, uh, and prove a lot of people uh, wrong. Nice pick. All right, next question. What matchup do you most want to see? CL, dying to hear what matchup. We, we covered it in the first segment in the playback. I want to see Duke Carolina part four in the national title game. Nice. Um, I think every year, well, maybe not every year, but some years you kind of uh, get a feel of, of who the two best teams are and and the way they played that game uh, to me it seems like they've established themselves as, as the two best just like in 2012 the only game I wanted to see was Kentucky and Carolina in the final and uh, that didn't materialize because of, of uh, Kendall Marshall's injury but they played the game in the regular season that was a one point Kentucky win in Lexington so uh, yeah there's only one game that I, I want to see New Carolina national title game. Okay, now so so as to be a little different because that resonates big time with me as well. I would say this: Can, can I have a tie? CL, is it possible to have a tie? Of course. All right. So my tie is: I would like to see North Carolina, Kentucky. I would very much like to see that game. That's a revenge factor for, I think, a lot of Carolina fans. And then I would also like to see tied is North Carolina, Virginia. I would very much, I very much want to see that matchup. Virginia's given Carolina a lot of trouble recently, the last couple of years, and I would really like to see that matchup. And of course, I, I mean, I just gave away most of my most of my final four picks. But anyway, those are the ones I want to see. The final quattro. What are your final four predictions? So uh, I uh, I'm going to go CL all ACC in the final four. I have North Carolina. I have Virginia. I have Duke. And then I have Syracuse. Something happens with that team when they get in there. I just I just think if they can get past Gonzaga, they're going to have a lot of momentum on their side. And I think that Syracuse Final Four Sweet 16 match, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Syracuse-Florida State Sweet 16 matchup, that would be something to watch. But uh, I'm just going to say Syracuse. I'm just going to go out on the limb. I would, uh, Syracuse has their starting point guard, Frank Howard, uh, out. I don't know if it's for the entire tournament, but for these first round games, for sure, for violating team policy. Right. We'll see if that comes back to haunt them. Tyus Battle has, has filled in before a point guard, so uh, we'll see. It, it shouldn't kill them mm. against Baylor, but it's still a, a body of score. Uh, so my final four real quick, I got Duke coming out of the East, Gonzaga coming out of the West. I think the tournament's going to be real chalky this year, in my opinion. Um, I have Kentucky coming out of the Midwest uh, because I, there's something I just don't trust about Carolina's perimeter shooting. I feel like they could have another game like the ACC tournament where, uh, you know, they shoot 
a low percentage from three, and they're just off. And they, you know, they have one of those games where they're not making outside shots. Kentucky has the the inside guys who can get you a bucket. They have they have basically the prototype uh, front court that Roy Williams usually has with with Reed Travis and PJ Washington. And uh, I'm going with uh, another somewhat sleeper pick, the three seed out of the South. I'll take Purdue uh, and Carson Edwards. I feel like Carson Edwards can get on a Kimba Walker-like run and carry that team. So that is my final four. Stay tuned next week for championship pick. Nice. Okay. That's some nice exclusive information there coming from CL Brown. So thank you, CL. And I hear they're really cranking up behind you there. So we better we better crank out of here. Uh, but uh, hope it goes well. Well, of course it will. Of course it'll be a great another great March Madness experience for you, CL Brown. So let's just kick it off right here and uh, send everybody away until next time. I'm Chris Brown. I'm C.L. Brown. And this is Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill.